Hey all, Double G here from Fight Game Media. I just wanted to talk about some of the bonus content we've been dropping on our Patreon, aka Fight Game Media Network Plus. John LaRocca and I dropped our 1998 Royal Rumble Watch Along, which is a compliment to our 1998 Raw Review Series as we cover the year in which Stone Cold Steve Austin becomes the biggest star in wrestling. Just last week, Carlos Toro and Robert Silva for our boxing podcast, Pound for Pound, put out their monthly bonus show on the biggest upsets in boxing, heading all the way back to 1986 when Donald Curry lost to Lloyd Hunnigan. Carlos wasn't even born yet, so he was watching the fight for the first time, and Robert is recounting facts from that fight like it just happened yesterday. Also, don't forget to check out myself and Chris DePetrillo and our Karate Kid podcast, which is exclusive to the Patreon, as we cover Cobra Kai Season 4. Terry Silver is back, y'all, and he's looking for revenge on one Danny Boy LaRusso. Check out the Patreon at patreon.com front slash fight game media. It is just five bucks. Give us a shot. Your Starbucks order probably costs more than that. Now, on to the show. Write that, write that down, write that, write that down, 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 write and myself. Okay, today we embark on a long journey, the first part one of our profile series on the one, the only, very, very special Antonio Inoki. This episode focuses on Inoki's early years when he was growing up, you know, the youngest of 11 children of a big family and moving to Sao Paulo, Brazil, losing his grandfather on the boat ride there. Enrique Dozan finding him while in Brazil, going back to Japan working for JWA, Enrique Dozan debuting the same day as Giant Baba, teaming with Giant Baba later on, being the super tag team, IB, the rise of Tokyo Pro Wrestling, the rise of international wrestling, IWE, the debut of New Japan in 1972. We talk a bit about Carl Gotch as well, how he factors into all of this. This is all in the first episode. This is just the early years. We only get up to 1972, 50 years from the debut of the company, New Japan, by the way. It'll be next month, actually, February. So, it's pretty dense, right? That's just part one. The early years, Antonio Inoki. This is Write That Down for Misaito, myself, Justin Nipper. This is part of probably what's going to be a five-episode series. On Inoki, we're gonna follow up with a, uh, something on Baba as well. That's gonna coincide with all this. So, everyone, strap in. Let's go. Let's start with talking about Inoki before he became. A wrestler before he trained as a wrestler he right was, right he was born 1943 
1943, February 20th. 1943, so he would be, yeah, 79. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he was born in Yokohama, Turumiku, Yokohama. Yeah. For, yeah. Seven boys and four girls. 11, yeah, 11 people. Yeah. Wow. Big seven family. Brothers. Yeah, seven brothers and four sisters. And he is like the second youngest of 11 children. He's the young, he's the baby. Yeah, second, yeah, second youngest of 11 ch children in Inoki family. And his father passed away when he was only five. Wow. Yeah, yeah so he does not have much memory of his father, but the, the closest father figure was Inoki's grandfather, Juro-san. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, it was like more of a father than a grandpa. It was really close. And the grandpa, Inoki, uh, well, his, his, his last name wasn't, you know, Inoki, but he, his Juro Sagara, okay. He was the one who initiated the idea to bring the whole family to Brazil. What year was this? Uh, the year he went to Brazil. When so he, he was, was a little kid still? He was 14. 14, okay, like junior high school. Yeah, 1957. Okay, 1957. Yeah. Right, 1957, he went to, at the age of 14, he went to the whole, not the whole family, but the half the family. Half the family stayed in Japan, but the, the grandpa took half the family and Inoki's mother and brothers to Brazil to start a coffee farm in Brazil. Hmm. That's a gutsy thing to do. It's a, it's a risk. It's, it's, it's a, a big risk. risk. Yeah. Um, 1957, 12 years after the war. Mm -hmm. A lot of families were trying to reestablish themselves and, and a lot of families seem to be like dipping into new industries like this, like yeah. opportunities, like said, entrepreneurship. You know, Inoki was born 1943, so the war was over when he was just two years old, 1945, right? Mm -hmm. So he grew up in this uh, this post-war era, definitely. And at the age of 14, 1957, his family, with the initiation of his very influential grandfather, Juro, that, that they took the boat from Yokohama. Got, not on a plane, it's a big boat all the way across the Pacific Ocean, all the way to Brazil. And unfortunately, that the father figure, grandfather, Juro, died on the boat on their way to Brazil. So the grandpa never made it there. Yeah. So when they got to Brazil without their grandpa, what happened next? That the whole family moved to Sao Paulo, Brazil, and then started working for the farm. Yeah. Started uh, harvesting coffee beans. Yeah, but wasn't quite the owner of the farm, but they had to work for somebody first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also they worked for, you know, fruit and vegetable market. It's a, it's a real physical labor, right? Mm -hmm. Hard manual and labor. Also, yeah, and then also Inoki and, and his older brothers were in karate and uh, track and field. And Inoki was a shot putter, you know, thing doing that. Uh, yeah. 
and he made uh, some some teenage record of some you know shot putters some yeah something athletic and that uh 1950 uh, two years three years shortly three years later i believe it was uh, 50 either 59 or the beginning of 1960 ricky dozen had a tour in brazil mm -hmm. and uh, that's when uh, legend starts either inoki was discovered by ricky dozen or being introduced by somebody to ricky dozen and then the first sight that uh, Ricky Dozen looked at him and said, I'm going to bring this kid back to Japan. It really sounds Seven. like a movie, the beginning of yeah, a movie story the beginning or something. beginning of the movie, right, right. So the, the, his life has been very dramatic from that very early, you know, real early stage. Then three years later, after, you know, the entire family moved to Brazil, just Inoki, Kanji Inoki at the time, yeah, mm -hmm. real name. 17-year-old Kanji Inoki came back to Japan three years later. 17-year-old Inoki. And he, he was introduced as a, he was actually a, you know, like a, uh, they had this, you know, fictitious, you know, profile on him. Says, this kid was born in Brazil, Sao Paulo, and half Japanese, half Brazilian. So he was not allowed to speak Japanese. <laughs> Is that weird? For how long was that? Oh, the first like a rookie year. Hmm. At the time, though, know, that the sports pages and the media pretty much believed what Ricky Dozan will tell you. You know, they yeah, pretty much didn't go into big details or anything. So that the piece of paper said that this kanji 17-year-old kanji Inoki was discovered by Ricky Dozan in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and brought you know being brought back to Japan to be a wrestler. And uh, he is half Brazilian and half Japanese, Nisei. So that was his very initial gimmick. So he had this fantasy thing, like almost like a fiction, you know, background right from the beginning. Isn't that interesting? Kind of like a like a myth, almost a myth. Oh of yeah, well, well the, the, the Inoki is kind of like a myth all, his whole life, right? Because. Mm -hmm. We think we know a lot about Inoki, and of course we know what he has done and how influential and his glory, you know, just glorified his wrestling career and what he hasn't done, you know. It's like, wow, it's like he's done everything. But, uh, yeah, from the beginning, rookie Kanji Inoki was brought back to Japan as a golden rookie and introduced in April of 1960 as rookie. Very same day. Two rookies were introduced in the ring. Shohei Baba, later on Giant Baba, of course, mm -hmm. and Kanji Inoki, rookie, five years younger than Baba. But Baba was more of a, a golden rookie because he was a the former baseball player, in, you know, Yomiuri Giants pitcher. Mm -hmm. So, so he, he, yeah. he had a little bit of a following. People were familiar. Yeah, and then also he was sent to America right, pretty much right away in rookie year. See, Inoki didn't have very uh, that the that the the Baba's you know treatment. See, Baba was old enough where he didn't have to <clears throat> live in live in dojo. He had his own apartment and just came to dojo every morning to practice. Whereas Inoki had to live in Rikidozen's home, like a servant. 
Uh, very similar to uh, kind of how Jumbo Tsuruta took uh, his training and uh, his treatment. Right. Uh, well, all yeah, because Jumbo was former Olympian and had a yeah already had a wrestling background and then sent to Amarillo, Texas to be trained under Dory Funk and Funk mm -hmm. family, right? But the Inoki was more of a deshi, if you know the word, like a disciple of, of Rikido's and dynasty. Mm. Oh, being 17 year old is a lot to do with that too. Like being, you know, a minor, right? Mm -hmm. And he was living in in, in, in Ricky Dozen's home. So he was taking care of, you know, Ricky Dozen outside the ring, basically washing his back, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a very Japanese way to do it. But uh, yeah, Inoki didn't have this <clears throat> like a golden rookie treatment. He was more of a, Shin Deshi, you know, Deshi is like a disciple, but uh, yeah, they trained under you know Ricky Dozen and all the senior wrestlers like Toyo Nobori, the Kokichi Endo, the yeah, Michi, you know, Michiaki Yoshimura, the, all these people, and uh, 17 year old, and, and uh, like I said, April of 1960, Baba and Inoki were introduced together the same very same day, right, in mm -hmm. the ring. By ring announcer and september 30th of the same year baba and inoki had a debut match the very same day too so they were a big rival from the beginning introduction to the crowd and the press the same day april of 1960 and the very uh, that uh, the debut match september 30th of the same year 1960 Giant baba beat katsurahama in just a few minutes and inoki was beaten by Kintaro Oki, you know, the mobile, you know, the, the arm lock shoot move, you know, and the Inoki was beat. So, uh, Jan Baba went over, big first match, and Inoki was just, just a guy, you know. And uh, Jan Baba pretty much left the following year to be a big star in New York. And the Yoshino Sato and Yukio Suzuki, Lero Mammoth Suzuki, that, uh, they toured all over America. In the meantime, 18-year-old, 19-year-old, you know, 20th, that uh, 20-year-old Inoki was doing the young boy work in the meantime, right? And uh, yeah, so Inoki was more of an underdog very first five years or so. Are you following me? It's kind of the traditional or the typical path that a lot of Japanese wrestlers or even Japanese ass like... Um, individual uh, sports athletes oh sumo wrestling kind of sumo wrestling for sure yeah yeah and if you know the word senpai and kohais you know if you started a day earlier or you know or a week earlier that you always be a senpai like a senior you know yeah like a senior and junior like a mentor and mentee yeah. and that yeah, really so. yeah that really colors the dynamic of the relationships between people, especially in Japanese wrestling and especially here. Yeah. There's that level of, uh, you know, the it's vertical relationship, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's uh, very vertical. Yes. It's, yeah. I think I mean, that really good and bad, good and, good bad. and bad. It's just how yeah. it is though. And, and when you get that, you really start to uh, understand why certain wrestlers act certain ways in the ring or they wrestle certain ways and, and such. But we really threw out for for twenty more than twenty years. We saw that that kind of um, relationship, rivalry, or whatever you want to call it, 
yeah. turned into something much bigger than both of them. Yeah, but uh, for Inoki and Janet Baba's case, that uh, that uh, they'll you know cross path again, you know, in a few years. That uh, Baba came back a couple years later as a main event cluster, right? Inoki still being uh, like a that the premium, I mean, premium or the mid card young guy, that the, there's there was a difference in, in the status there, and uh, there was a world league tournament every spring, if you remember. <clears throat> JWA had uh, kind of like a <clears throat> old Japan's champions carnival, or new Japan had an IWGP tournament every every spring before IWGP became a heavyweight championship title. That uh, every spring there was a big, big tournament called World League. They started like in 1959, I believe. That like people like you know uh, Jesse Ortega, Enrique Torres, that uh, all these you know uh, big superstar from America came and did did the like round robin tournament. And uh, in fourth year, that, that should have been 1961 or two. Inoki was already throwing there in his fourth year career, you know. It's very interesting that uh, the tournament had people like Luthes, Freddie Blassie, you know, and uh, Sonny Myers, yeah, all these big names. So, you know, this 18, 19-year-old Inoki had a single match against all these people. Already in Japan, I'm talking about Luthes. So he was a bit of a phenom, like a, a young, young phenom. Uh, yeah, I was thrown into the tournament as the youngest guy in there, and I had a chance to see Korogachi in his prime. Yeah, mm. yeah. Korogachi's very first trip was back in 1961. Inoki was sitting right outside the ring, like a young boy, watching him. They weren't tight until when you know until they you know Korogachi moved to Japan in 1968 to be a the exclusive coach for JWA. That's when Inoki and Korogachi became really tight. But uh, rookie Inoki was witnessing all these every single American superstar coming from America to have a have a important single match against Ricky Dozen. He was there. He was there. People didn't notice. Notice him at, at the time because Inoki was the one who was carrying Ricky Dozen's costume, or like you said, towel boy. Yeah, mm -hmm. towel boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not interesting. It's very, it's like a very interesting to watch, you know, Japanese videotape from like the 70s and 80s who's walking around outside the ring who will become somebody later on. Lots of people, like, yeah. You can watch a lot right. of uh, lots and lots of different stars when they were. Jeez. Young boy wearing you know tracksuit and top and bottom. You know, you see young Nobuhiko Takara or young Akira Maeda or all these people outside ring or like Minoru a young Suzuki. Killer, killer, Minoru Suzuki with Inoki. Bag. Yeah, of course. Chono, yeah, Hashimoto, Muto for that matter. Yeah. But Inoki was actually one of them for Ricky Dozen. Carrying costume and towels and you know, bucket of water or something, you know. But uh, yeah, it was interesting that Inoki was witnessing all these things from like a three feet away.
And Is that, that interesting? And it's interesting also because Baba didn't do that. Because he was sent to America right away and then mm. had under the giant treatment. Totally different uh, experience Pat. he had. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because second year on, giant Baba uh, was sent to America and it was already headlining Madison Square Garden against people like Argentina Raka. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the meantime, Antonio Inoki was doing first match, second match every night and get beat. When did he become Antonio and drop the kanji name? Uh, I believe it was during the, uh, the trip to Okinawa sometime in like 58, uh, 50, wait a minute. No, no, I said he was, he rookie, it was 1960. So it, it had to be like 63 then. Okay. Yeah. So a couple of years after his debut. Yeah, and also Ricky Dozen had a drama series called Champion Futoshi that Ricky Dozen appeared as himself. And there was a TV drama, the little kid becoming wrestler, right? And Inoki dressed up in, in Native American costume and, and played the villain uh, that the challenging you know, uh, Ricky Dozen. So actually, hmm. in this TV drama, black and white TV drama, there was a dream match between Ricky Dozen and young Antonio Inoki and uh, Inoki wearing, you know, like a, you know, costume, but uh, that was young Inoki doing it, you know, and that the videotape exists, that the DVD is out there. Wow. So it's the only footage we have of Inoki versus Ricky Dozen. It's a part of the movies, but uh, yeah, that, 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 <laughs> that exists. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And during the trip, uh, that uh, tour, please remember this Okinawa was still part of U.S. United States. Mm-hmm. Okinawa Island of Okinawa was not uh, was not returned to Japan until 1972. There was a war, remember? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and uh, the, the the entire island of Okinawa was still territory of U.S. That's why that they still have that the 70 percent of Okinawa land, the entire land, is occupied by U U.S. you know base to this day. But that's not the point. But that, that's not what we're talking about today. But the, the, during the Okinawa tour, uh, Toyo Nobori, the senior wrestler, gave Inoki Antonio name. The, ah. There's a yeah. There's there's been a, quite a few theory to that. Um, during Rick Dozen's era, most of the American superstar made trip to Japan. But the two wrestlers who never made to Japan was Anthony uh, Antonino Raka and Buddy Rogers. Those two never came to Japan. Any reason? I guess New York was pretty far away at the time in 1960s. Yeah. You know, mm. uh, we we believed, or Japanese audience were led to believe that uh, those superstars came from all over the world or all over the United States. But the most wrestlers actually came from California at the time. Huh. See, there was no direct flight to New York at the time. Every airplane from Tokyo, Haneda Airport, will land in Honolulu, Hawaii first, then went to California. There's no direct flight from Tokyo to New York like we do today. So Madison Square Garden in New York, or all the St. Louis for that matter, you know, uh, was pretty far away. And if you think about the Sharp Brothers, the Freddie Blassie, the... um, whatnot, they were California-based professional wrestlers. That's right. Big buyer, the destroyer too. Mm-hmm. 
And um, under the very unfortunate circumstances that uh, nine, December of 1963, Ricky Dawson um, passes away. 1963, that's right. Yeah, December. Yeah, December of 1963. And he was, Inoki was promised at the time that the next next rookie who's going to America is you, right? Hmm. And I mean, like going to America, just like today, you know, like you go overseas for a year and go away and come back as a wrestling you know, superstar, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Think about like a Kazuchika Okada treatment or Shinsuke Nakamura, Hiroshi Tanahashi, for that matter, everybody else. Mm-hmm. That, uh, you disappear from Japanese ring for like a year or two. Then you come back with longer hair, different costume or different ring name or different, you know, uh, I mean, basically different person. You become star in J- Japanese ring. But Inoki was promised in the end of 1963 that uh, you'd be the next one to go to America. So I guess he was you know, getting ready for that. But uh, that the master, Ricky Dozen, passes away at uh, December of 1963. So it's like, well, it wasn't going to happen because Ricky Dozen passing, that the people were afraid that there was, wasn't going to be wrestling anymore, right? Because mm. that was it. He was the JWA, more or less, right? And he was the wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, where, did, uh, where did Toyo Nobori rank up between uh, where you know uh, he was, was number and, two guy? Yeah, he, so he was, was the number two, two guy when yeah, Ricky Dozen was alive. For, right, right, already number two guy because Ricky Dozen really loved this guy Toyo Nobori, and also he was like a little brother in he came from a sumo wrestling world too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. former sumo wrestler, and actually Toyo Nobori and Inoki were really tight at the time, and. Three months after Rick Dozen's passing, March of 1964, March of 1964, Inoki finally left Japan. They went to Hawaii first. The turn of body to 1965, the two, two years, Inoki traveled the U.S. Never came back for two years. And in this time, JWA had dissolved, or, or what had happened with the original made, JWA made, company? To, made made Nobori a champion. I see. Yeah, but w- it didn't last w- until uh, the 70s. No, no, we'll get to that. We'll get to okay. that. So after Rick Dozen passing, uh, the four gentlemen, four wrestlers, yeah. Toyo Nobori, Kokichi Endo, Yoshino Sato, and Michiaki Yoshimura, those four cartel became the president of the wrestling company after Ricky Dozen died. So four. Mm-hmm. Yoshino Sato, Kokichi Endo, Michiaki Yoshimura, and Toyonobori. Okay, those four. But in ring, Toyonobori pretty much was the guy uh, to be the ace of the ring. And JWA, JWA had a business partnership with WWA, the Worldwide Wrestling Associates from California. Now defunct, of course, but the WWA was the world heavyweight title. At the time, the Destroyer, Dick Bayer was a champion. Destroyer was brought into Japan and Toyonobori beat him to become WWE world champion. That was uh, their big, big program. In the meantime, Inoki on his own, like 20 years old, 20, yeah, only 20 year old Inoki traveled to States all by himself, starting from California. Uh, yeah, Los Angeles, then went to Kansas City for a while, and then became his ring name is Tokyo Tom, 
<laughs> yeah. Tokyo Tom. Yeah. Then came back to uh, California, then went up to Portland, Oregon for a whole year. You know, the Don Owen, the, the Portland Pro Wrestling. Yeah. Then he spent one whole year over there, then came back to California, then, then also traveled to Tennessee and then made the tag team with Hiro Matsuda and beat the medic, medics to become that uh, their version of NWA World you know, Tag Team Champions. And then he traveled to Tennessee, that the part of Texas, and Houston, Paul Bosch, yeah, of course. And uh, yeah, he was, and I think he was, his name was Little Tokyo in Texas too. Little Tokyo. And also, Anji Inoki. See, he had a different ring name in different places, much like a lot of Japanese wrestlers at the time, huh? That was pretty common, it seemed like the the promoters just decided what was best for uh, the wrestler and and one yeah, and, area uh, they'd be. You, they can't, they won't use the word, but uh, I have a copy of Houston program from like 1965. The caption read, Jap Giant. You would see that a lot in the papers and in uh, media that was uh, accepted. Yeah, it was accepted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. you'd see it pretty, yeah. Yep. Yeah, because Inoki, like, uh, legitimately 64, 65 at the time when he see, when he was younger, he was a lot taller. You know, he, he shrunk a little, you know, as, as <laughs> you know, as he got older. But uh, 64, like a 190 centimeter height Japanese was pretty tall for American common sense, huh? I think so. It seems yeah, like cause, it. you know, yeah, when you t- look at the people like a great Togo or Tojo Yamamoto or Mitsu Arakawa or Duke Kiyomuka or, yeah, at the time that the Japanese wrestlers were short and stocky and short, stocky guys with the long black pants. Yeah, yeah, like knee tights and barefoot. Yeah. You yeah. throw salt. Yeah, smile. My- Less yeah, of real, a fighter. Everything, yeah, everything stereotypical that uh, you you know you bow and smile for no reason, and uh, when your opponent turn their back, that uh, you attack them like a Pearl Harbor, right? <laughs> <laughs> but for Inoki, you know, he was a good-looking young wrestler, real tall, and he didn't have that uh, you know typical Japanese heel knee tights. He had a short trunks barefooted but the short trunks so he grew out of this stereotypical japanese role while he was in america then uh, he traveled like i said california territory oregon territory kansas tennessee houston texas yeah then, then he spent the entire two years traveling around you know traveling when you were 20 and 21 22 yeah i guess yeah that's a that's adventurous Especially also, then, that was a very interesting time in the states. Right, right, and uh, you're still like really. Uh, I mean, if you're a Japanese wrestler, you're automatic heel, huh? Back then, yeah, for a very long time, that was the yeah, and then the, the rule breaking, and uh, yeah, but the Inoki traveled and uh, all all by himself, and uh, he met people and hooked hook, and hooked up with like all like uh, became really close later on, Hiro Matsuda. Hiro Matsuda was uh, pretty much the very first free agent. You know, he walked away from Rikidozan's school. He went to Peru 
Then he went to Mexico, then you know, moved to America. And later on, he was part of NWA Florida, Championship Wrestling from Florida office. And uh, yeah, the hero Matsuda was uh, kind of like an older brother to Inoki and, and they became tag team. And uh, it was actually um, like a meeting up, you know, traveling all by yourself, you know, wrestling is one thing, but the meeting people and making your own connection was just as important, right? It wasn't so easy to do back then either. It was very, right. uh, you, who you were connected with, they were really bonded with these people. You yeah, depend Duke Kiyomuka from yeah, Florida and Texas, and also uh, uh, the, the Morris, Morris Siegel from Houston, Paul Bosch, promoter, and Kansas, Sonny Myers remembered Inoki from Ricky Dozen. See, Sonny Myers was a promoter and 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 a main event guy in Kansas City that that he remembered young Inoki because Sonny Myers came to Japan previous years and spent like three months in Japan challenging Ricky Dozen's international title, and recognized something in young Inoki. So Sonny Myers invited Inoki over to Kansas City and you come here and spend time. And, and these were a very interesting time. And that's when he picked up English. You know, he had to speak English. And he learned slowly, a ton. Yeah, and then slowly but surely you are becoming international oriented, you know, what international superstar wrestling should be. You know, not just wrestling skill and hard work or psychology of professional wrestling, but I mean, all all about this wrestling business as a whole. Something probably Ricky Dozan didn't teach you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he, yeah. he couldn't teach. He was in a much different position at the time. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like like we said, like a different path. Different. It was important, just as important, but very different. Yeah, but the, that really made. Inoki, though, as a person, you know, you're on your own, traveling all over the United States, all by yourself when you're 20, 21, 22. And uh, you really picked up the business, too. And uh, becoming Antonio Inoki. Then fast forward a little bit. January of 1966, he flew back to Hawaii on his way back to Japan. Okay. And something happened within JWA at the time. Toyo Nobori was fired from the JWA and Yoshino Sato, Kokichi Endo and Yoshimura, three guys took over the whole business and Toyonobori was pushed out. And when Inoki went to uh, Hawaii, that the, all those three people were there to meet uh, along with uh, that uh, uh, JWA's agent, Oki Shikina, that uh, all right, you're coming back to Japan and uh, participating in the eighth annual uh, World League tournament. You know, and uh, we gotta, you know, that uh, promise you this this much money and guarantee and whole bit. And a couple of days later, that then that the now free agent Toyo Nobori shows up in Hawaii and had a secret meeting with Inoki. And Toyo Nobori told Inoki that uh, 23 though, 23 year old Inoki, that uh, leave JWA, you'll never surpass Giant Baba. They have planned for Giant Baba. If you go back to JWA, that you are always going to be number two guy. And Toyo Nobori had a plan that he's studying a second company, Tokyo Pro Wrestling. Did you know that? Yeah. Which was different from 
I think there was Tokyo Pro Wrestling later on in like the 90s, yeah? Oh, it's completely, completely different. Yeah, different, no association. 23-year-old Antonio Inoki was about to start his very first outlaw company. <laughs> you know, kind of like JWA being NWA established with tele network television with big budget, you know, about to run an annual uh, World League tournament in spring. And Inoki was going to be somewhat a focal point of the tournament. But Toyonobori came to Hawaii and stole him, you know, with one day meeting. But it's now it's well documented, but we, I mean, to this day, we don't know what was talked about. But Toyonobori prom promised him that Inoki, that the 23 year old, very, um, you know, um, um, you know, he had desire to be the number one guy, of course, you know, and ambitious, right? That, uh, that the, after one night, you know, secret closed door meeting with Toyo Nobori, he decided, you know, Inoki pretty much decided to walk away and leave JWA altogether. 23-year-old Inoki starting his first outlaw promotion. It's called Tokyo Pro Wrestling. And uh, Inoki and Toyo Nobori spent next six months in Japan, you know, putting together a new company. And, and I believe September, October of 1966, uh, Tokyo Pro Wrestling finally launched. <clears throat> in the meantime, you know, this 23-year-old now becoming a promoter, you know, you know, Antonio Inoki traveled back and forth to the States to recruit a wrestler and uh, to, to start a tour, right? Very first Tokyo Pro Wrestling tour had then that uh, they haven't seen that the superstar from America in Johnny, you know, Valentine, he was able to bring Johnny Valentine to the tour. And that was the main event of Tokyo, you know, Tokyo Pro Wrestling. 23-year-old Antonio Inoki against U.S. heavyweight champion Johnny Valentine. And that was their big match. Are you following me? That was a big deal. That was a big deal because uh, was that his first real um yeah spotlight sort of match sure sure yeah because inoki left you know japan three years earlier and he wasn't in the magazine or anything you know just he was gone for a while but he came back as like a like now like a new star so of course, that the JWA's focal point was moving towards Giant Baba, and JWA revived Ricky Dozen's international heavyweight title and held the tournament to determine that the reborn international heavyweight title. You know, things like Giant Baba against Dick the Bruiser, Giant Baba against Dick Byer, the Giant Baba against whatnot, and uh, Giant Baba was becoming a superstar of Channel Four. So it was the very first year that the Inoki was like still chase, still chasing, but like a, coming closer and closer to Baba's status, 1966. But unfortunately, though, this Tokyo Pro Wrestling only lasted like uh, just one year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, they went out of business as of 1967. In January of 1967, yet another company called IWE, 
International Wrestling Enterprise started with Hiro Matsuda and Isao Yoshiwara. That Inoki worked one tour with IWE and uh, revived that the American tag team in Inoki and Hiro Matsuda, and they were billed as NWA World Tag Team Champions and had a series of matches against people like Eddie Graham and Sammy Steamboat. So they had tour. But uh, there was a falling out that uh, and then a politician came in and uh, they signed Inoki away. And then Inoki, was all, all of a sudden, Inoki was signed with JWA back in April of 1967. So he was only with uh, IWE for a very short time. One, one, one tour. And at the time, the Tokyo Pro Wrestling went out of business quick. Yeah. And there was a falling a falling out between Inoki and Toyonobori too. Any idea what happened? Was it a money thing? Everything, everything, yeah. Because they were going to have this, you know, forty day tour, and it was cut short to fifteen shows. They were going to have television deal. It never happened, and a lot of things, yeah, yeah. And at the time, people like, you know, young Masa Saito, uh, young Rasha Kimura, all these people were in undercard, in undercard of Tokyo Pro Wrestling, no? Very interesting, huh? And later so, IWE too, like uh, Kimura, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they will cross paths again. That's so interesting, you know, that's what's so inter- interesting about the wrestling. Yeah, that's, um. Will there was a big um, kind of rivalry or feud between Russia Kimura and Antonio Inoki kind of at the end Later of the early, early, early 80s. Yeah, into early the 80s. 80s and then early kind of that um, early New Japan myth building of Antonio Inoki. We'll get to that. Probably in the next. Yeah, episode. a little bit. That's far yeah, away. Next expo- yeah, but the young Masa Saito came out of. Uh, Tokyo Olympic 1964 joined JWA, but the, he wasn't happy. So Masa Saito and Thunder Sugiyama, two Olympians, walked away from JWA. And uh, one joined IWE. Masa Saito joined Tokyo Pro Wrestling. And, and Inoki and Masa Saito actually spent, they shared apartment in Hawaii for six months and trained together. Masa Saito and Inoki. See, hmm. they were like the best of friends, actually. Hmm. Later on, they became big big rival in late 80s 80s if you remember inoki against masa saito like five you know important single match in 1987 mm. including the oh, jungle, the jungle match. match yeah and all those things small then, yeah and then that's when you know masa saito pretty much decide that the, he should be healed that will make him the single match opponent against anthony inoki on top mm-hmm you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So later on, that's like much later on, they'll cross path again. But uh, uh, pretty much after Tokyo Pro Wrestling, that the Masa Saito decided to go move to America and spend next 20 years just in America. Yeah. I'm sure we'll cover that on a different episode as well. Because yes, yeah. yeah. And, and the, when he came back to feud with Inoki, he had come back from those 20 years of living in the States. He was, he was a, yeah. a star in the States. For sure. Yeah, WWF tag team champions with Mr. Fuji, or the U.S. tag team champion in San Francisco with Kinji Shibuya, or he was a U.S. champion, that the Florida heavyweight champion, NWA Florida. He traveled all over, all over, on his own. That's another story. That's mm-hmm. like a very interesting wrestling story in him. So we'll have Masa Saito episodes sometimes, but today.
night we're, we're talking about Anthony Inoki and JWA in April of 1967. That's when Inoki and Jan Baba became BI combination. Baba Inoki together as like a strongest tag team for the next five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Inoki and Baba together though, you know, for the, the five year period. 67 to 70, end of 1971. Inoki mm. leaves and Inoki leaves uh, JWA again and forms New Japan Pro Wrestling in 1972. Giant Baba leaves JWA and form his All Japan Pro Wrestling, both 1972. So 1972 is a very interesting year too. But for now, that the, 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 the 67, 68, 69, 70, 71, for the five-year five, five year period, there was a, like a happy five-year that the Baba and Inoki were together. The, the B1, BI combination, Baba and Inoki, okay? BI combination as an international tag team, like when I was a little, little kid, that they beat every tag team, like Dick the and the Crusher, that the Danny Hodge and Wilbur Snyder together, that the, the all kinds, of ta- the young Terry and Dory Funk, that the, they beat everybody. Yeah. They were like a super team. They were a super team, yeah. And they were sort of, you know, in the position, they, they took the place of Ricky Dozan after he passed away. Both of them together were... And also, as, as symbolic as it is, that the, you know, that the Ricky Dozan was a hero of black and white TV. Mm. Okay? Mm. And Jan Baba and Inoki was when everybody bought the color TV. Yes, yeah. different, different generations. Different generations, yeah. Late 60s into early 70s, you know, when Leave It to Beaver became color. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you remember I Love Lucy or something, mm-hmm. the beginning, it was black and white. And later on, it became color. Yeah. So a lot of the, the young Inoki and even Baba fans were probably the, the sons and daughters of Ricky Dozan fans. Yeah, yeah. Because I was not there when Ricky Dozan was a hero, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Ricky Dozan died when I was one year old, you know? <laughs> when so I he started was watching. a legend already. Yeah. Yes, a national hero. And then also it links that the post-war period you know, that uh, people are rebuilding their homes and uh, the economy reviving and you you start, you know, having refrigerator in your home, you start having television set at your home or the laundry, uh, you know, the laundry machine at your house and that the economy booming with like a Tokyo Tower being built, the Olympic being brought back in 1964 and all these things that, uh, that, uh, that it, it, Japan is becoming big, you know, yeah, like, a, you know, you had the economy boom, right? It became the number, what, two, number three nation economically, culturally, Japan became important not just within pop culture but within high-tech culture i mean a lot of the uh, high-tech was coming out of you know japan like you said color tvs and refrigerators and and uh you know sharp and 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 uh, what other companies did uh, you have sharp sony panasonic everything talking about the car toyota nissan mitsubishi. honda mitsubishi the, you know, all these uh, toshiba hitachi you know all these companies you know became big that was like a booming period in late 60s into 70s. And 
Antonio Inoki and Giant Baba, the big combination, like both tall Japanese, right? Mm -hmm. And on color TV, they became symbol of 1970s. Mm -hmm. And they that both had they both had the the represented fighting spirit, burning spirit. <laughs> that... And the Giant Baba was a world champion, a world you know giant. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, in 1971, I believe, or oh, like 69, 1970. JWA start carrying wrestling program in two different stations, Channel 4, Nippon TV, and NET. Uh, later on, it becomes TV Asahi, that the uh, Channel 10. So one company had uh, had two different network, two different nights, Monday night and Friday night. You know, then we start scratching their head. Is, is that two different kind of wrestling? And later on, sure enough, became All Japan and New Japan. Mm. Isn't that interesting? It was 1971 where they broke up. So what was the, the climate like when both? Uh, well, first Inoki it was Inoki was that left. still yeah? number two, though. Still mm. number two. Because Baba and Inoki together, international tag team champion, uh, right? The, the, they were the, the big tag, tag team. By the way, it's the same physical belt that the Suama and the Shotaro Ashino had, you know, holds today. Mm -hmm. The very smaller kind of looking belt. Eagle, eagle, eagle. Mm -hmm. Eagle in the middle. Yeah. That tag team, the physical belt is still being used to this day. It's not interesting, like antique. But that were that those two championship belt were the physical championship belt Inoki and Barber together were holding at the time. The super team the belt. passed yeah. down. And also Baba's international heavyweight title is part of Triple Crown today, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Then um, Inoki needed singles championship too. In 1971, Inoki traveled to Olympic Olympic Auditorium in LA, beat John Tallis to become United National Heavyweight Champion, UN Champion. That's also part of all Japan's Triple Crown today. That's right. Yeah. So you know, one channel Inoki's UN Heavyweight Champion, and one channel in Baba's International Champion. The it's like, wow, is that two different kind of champion, and two different channel, and one company? It was going to you know to be to go separate way sooner or later because JWA had budget of. Uh, from two different networks and they were spending money you know and then uh, inoki was going to you know, go into the account that uh, somebody's making money that we're not making money and, and he was gonna you know, go into you know that the, their booking and they were going to inoki and his people were, were going to clean up the company and baba was going to you know look into their account too so shortly after inoki left and you know, form New Japan and Baba left to, to form All Japan. That the old JWA company, after all, went down. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, to make it, I mean, that was a lot more complicated than this, though. Of course, but, uh, of course. Yeah, basically, Inoki was kicked out by JWA, therefore, he formed New Japan Pro Wrestling in the March of 19. 72. In the meantime, Baba was going into their account, you know, to clean up the money and the business situation, and uh, pretty much the backup that the promised by Channel Four that if you moved out of JWA, we will have 
that the channel four will be with giant baba there was a promise so giant baba decided to walk away from jw to form his own all japan progressing and with, without baba and inoki together pretty much jw went down quick the following year mm. then you know seiji sakaguchi was uh, you know joined new, new japan inoki's side and uh, pretty much you know wrestlers were split into two groups at the time and uh we mentioned carl gotch earlier he'd come into play at the beginning of new japan too yeah because when inoki left or being kicked out or fired by jwa he became pretty much isolated from wrestling world that the jwa did everything to stop inoki from opening up his own company they uh, it's kind of like a, almost like a monopoly mentality right that the JWA, Yoshino Sato, and other people that uh, got in contact with all the promoter in America, please do not help Inoki, right? Yeah, so it's like Inoki was blocked from every major company in America to be associated with. So of all that, Inoki went straight to New York City. At the time, Carl Gatchen, Rene Goulet, WWWA tag team champions. See that the now that the Korogach is like a more of a symbol of shoot wrestling and MMA, like a pioneer of MMA style, right? Mm, strong style. Yeah, but at the time, w, he was uh, under contract with Vince McMahon Senior. He mm-hmm. was a wrestler. WWF, yeah, him and Rene Goulet yeah. were baby faces. Yeah, like European tag team, one from Germany and one from 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 France. Well, he's Belgium, but uh, basically he spoke Japanese, you know, that the German, so he was treated as a German superstar. Anyhow, that the, he was traveling and touring WWF at the time, and Inoki went straight to uh, Korogach, please help me open this company. And then and he decided to walk away from WWF and then became part of, became booker and a trainer of Inoki's new company, New Japan. That was very symbolic. Mm. The reason Inoki and Korogachi was tight was that between 1968 and 1969, about a year and a half period, was living in Japan as a coach of JWA. Right. That's right. Yeah. Then that was during the time that uh, Korogachi gave Inoki his German suplex hold and octopus hold. And, and Inoki, uh, the, the Korogachi also taught Sakaguchi how to do atomic drop as his finish. And he was like a coach. He coached all these young Japanese wrestlers at the time. He was living in Japan. But Inoki spent most time with Korogachi and wanted to be like Korogachi. Because the, the, the logic at the time was though, Giant Baba's wrestling is so American, it's phony. Antonio Inoki's style is for real. That was the logic. Isn't that mm-hmm. interesting? I mean, after all, it's both wrestling, professional wrestling, of course, but the Inoki needed this his um, very original logic. I don't know about Jan Baba. That's that's what he does. But what I do is real. Was that that was nineteen seventies logic? 
Well, I, I think Inoki, it seems like he never had, he was never in a position like Baba where he was backed by the machine. He never had the, the big machine backing of NWA or any of the, the big money spender or like a, like a NTV, for example. It would never, yeah. it was for him that was uh, in charge of Underdog. that. Underdog. He was always yeah. an outlaw underdog and he always had to work with the outlaw companies in the States, whether it's WWF or the, NWF a little before that when he would wrestle Johnny Powers all the time. Oh, I mean, after that, after that, like 73, 74. Yeah. But all these companies, they, they weren't. Yeah, because Inoki was like anti-establishment. Right. Baba, right after he opened up, John Baba, right after he opened up All Japan Pro Wrestling, he went to went straight to St. Louis and met up with people like Sam Machinik, became you know, then they got the NWA membership right away. Mm -hmm. They were part of the club. A part of the big establishment and also secured Dory Funk Sr. to be his own agent. Therefore, Dory Funk, Terry Funk, uh, Dory Funk Sr. all supplying all kinds, all the territories, top talent from Detroit, the Sheik's people, Indianapolis, uh, Dick the Bruiser people, uh, the AWA, Vern Gagne people, uh, Tennessee, California, whatnot. They had a connection with every single the, the major territory in America at the time. So Inoki had to work with Korogach, like I, like you said, Johnny Powers, NWF, and a little bit of Montre- people from Montreal. Yeah. yeah, And also Michael Abel from California, Olympic Auditorium. Yeah, so very limited offer, and also personal connection with people like Johnny Powers and Inoki's then best friend Pat Patterson. Yeah, so young Pat Patterson and young Inoki were traveling together in Oregon back in 1965. Isn't that interesting? Oh, okay. And did they travel down to California too? Yeah, uh, but uh, Pat Patterson became his own superstar. But uh, mm. they kept in touch in the early, early years of. New Japan Pro Wrestling, like 1974, 1973, they didn't have many major talents. So the most famous wrestler Inoki had was like Johnny Powers, Pat Patterson, and Tiger Jeet Singh. Mm-hmm. Or Maguire Brothers, if you remember, like a big, fat, huge twin brothers. Hmm. Yeah. And, was uh, uh, so, Andre the Giant uh, involved uh, around then yet? Or was that? Yeah, the... uh, 1974, hmm. that the Inoki finally had a partnership with Vince McMahon Sr. Yeah. And Vince McMahon already had a, had Andre the Giant under contract, but uh, the Vince Sr. decided not to keep Andre in New York City the entire year, that the Andre should not stay in one place or his, you know, commodity or his star value or fade, you know, that the Andre the Giant should make special appearance all year long. So Vince McMahon Sr. was sending Andre to all these different territory all over the world, all over U.S. And whenever Andre the Giant appears, that will become your extravaganza battle royal, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's Florida, where it's Tennessee, or it's... Uh, Houston, Texas, San Antonio, Texas, Amarillo, Texas, Dallas, Texas, or, or the Vancouver, Canada, or Calgary, or Montreal, or Toronto, wherever Andre went, it was like a special, like a uh, event. 
And that's how Andre was treated. In the meantime, that uh, Vince McMahon Sr. decided to send Anto that Andre, young Andre the Giant to, to Inoki's New Japan company half the year. So Andre was part of New Japan all through 70s. So that helped, you know, Inoki. Mm -hmm. and, and that was interestingly enough that the New Japan was the only place Andre worked heel. See, uh, remember 70s and the 80s until he challenged uh, Hulk Hogan for WrestleMania 3. Until then, Andre the Giant was the ultimate babyface wherever he went, right? Mm -hmm. But then in New Japan ring, he always worked as heel. Mm, it's not scary to have Inoki. Of course, in Inoki and Andre the Giant single match became like, like the, your top dollar program. Kind of yeah. a prelude to Hogan and Andre later on in the eighties. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, but then again, that uh, see, uh, Andre the Giant showed his you know genuine ability ability to work heel. He actually wrestled good wrestling match against Inoki. You know, working heel, walking into audience, walking into crowd like a big monster, scary monster that uh, he really worked here real well in Japan. And, and audience in the U.S. didn't know about that at the time. Yeah, we didn't back see to, that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, worked here all along. Anyhow, that, that was Inoki's New Japan story. Initially, he needed that uh, to create the aura and uh, this almost like ideology that the Inoki's wrestling is real where Baba's aunt or something. It's interesting. But uh, Inoki's wrestling is real. He's with Korogach. He's a symbol and god of wrestling. And that the New Japan logo always had strong style, right? King of sport. Same logo that the today's New Japan uses that was created back in 1972. The lion logo. Yep, the lion mark. Yeah, that logo was created in the, in the, the beginning, the very beginning of New Japan Pro Wrestling. We did the best we could covering the early, early days of Inoki from growing up, going to Brazil, coming back, going to the States, um, going back to JWA. Tokyo, yeah, yeah, Tokyo Pro Wrestling and JWA. And, yeah, Tokyo Pro Wrestling, international wrestling. Um, he did a lot in, uh, and he was only, geez, maybe before 25, 26 years old. He had right, already done right. quite a bit. So, and that's just the first episode. I think next time we can start off talking the early years of New Japan, which was kind of like, a, it was kind of a platform for Inoki because after that one loss to Gotch at the beginning of its you know history, it became just the Inoki show. He was at the main event. He was at the top of the card. He he took out monsters and and big foreigners and top Japanese stars for years and years. Uh, yeah, but still wasn't part of NWA establishment. That's right. And this is the New Japan. When New Japan started, this idea we were talking about, the idea that you mentioned, the philosophy of my wrestling is not just different from what you're doing, but it's better and it's more real. That idea really is coming from the Inoki side. You, the NWA, also, the American style. Have, you know, Giant Baba's connection. Right. With American promoters. Therefore, that's another reason he started doing a cross 
uh, that the wrestler against martial arts or Inoki against kickboxer, Inoki against bo professional boxer, Inoki against judoka, uh, that, uh, yeah, therefore the beginning of MMA. Very much so. They call it like a mi mixed, uh, what was it called? Like a mixed fight or something? Mixed martial arts. No, there was a name for it earlier on, uh, the like a mixed styles match or something. I forget the name uh, of it. Ish Ishu Kaktogi. Mm -hmm. How do you say that Ishu in English? Ishu Kaktogi is, is actually translated to MMA, mixed martial arts. Mixed martial Ishu arts. Kaktogi. Yeah, it became a word later on. So mm -hmm. how influential Inoki really is. Yeah, and and you know just the the general idea of bringing the martial arts into pro wrestling and incorporating it because every single wrestler, maybe every other wrestler you see today has kick pads and does uh, low kicks or high kicks or this used to be so foreign to pro wrestling, especially in the states. Martial arts in general, we saw it first really with New Japan Pro Wrestling and you know yeah. guys. And actually, the kicking pad was created by. Satoru Sayama, the original Tiger Mask, and number one protege kid of young Antonio Inoki. Mm. His DNA is almost everywhere. Oh, God, everywhere. And uh, Satoru Sayama, before he, he was Tiger Mask, he was Inoki's favorite, you know, the, the tall boy. Hmm. And it's interesting because even though they trained together and they had that relationship of mentor and mentee, it still seemed like... Sayama became something completely different and completely um, uh, uh, separate from Inoki. He really branched out and- Well, of course, actually, he is more similar to Inoki though. Oh yeah, in, in which senses, which ways? The creativities and ideas and how to be connected with the audience. And he always finds his own big sponsors, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right too. But again, yeah. no association with Fujiwara. NWA. Then throwing Fujiwara, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, and Akira Maeda in it too. He, those were also, oh, and Nobuhiko Takada. Maeda, Fujiwara, Maeda, Takada, Sayama, they were all Inoki's seconding boy. Oh, and Funaki and Suzuki and. Oh, uh, no, later on, later on. Oh, those is later. Oh, the early. Fujiwara 80s, was guys. the original, then Sayama, then Maeda, then Takada, before Muto or Minoru Suzuki or anybody like that. But every single name you just mentioned is a big, big, big star. Very influential. So that clearly Inoki's DNA in there, though. Everywhere, even still. Everywhere. Even still. It's, it's uh, noticeable to even when day. you watch any product. I'm not just talking about Japanese wrestling. You see it everywhere. Yeah. But when we, when we do the Jan Baba uh, episode, we'll see clearly you see Baba's DNA in Jumbo Tsura, in the Mitsuharu Misawa, Kenta Kobashi, Toshiaki Kawada, it's completely different school of wrestling. Yeah, it's more it's more of an extension of the NWA style. I think yeah, it's a lot but, about uh, toughness and, and athleticism and, and keeping with the, the current, or not current, but at the time, current rules or, or, or the or the traditional traditions, methods. sure. Traditional it, wrestling method because American superstars or American establishments always choose Baba over Inoki. Mm -hmm. Dory Funk, Terry Funk, Harley Race, Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen, Terry Gordy, Steve Williams, everybody. You know what I'm saying? 
And they're all big, yeah. big, big guys, giants, land of giants compared There's with. There's a New reason Japan. for it. There's mm-hmm. a reason for it. Now we'll get to that. Yeah. Mm. But okay. tonight, yeah, I, I think did we cover enough ground for like a very, very first episode of Antonio Inoki? This should get you <laughs> still, prepared. Still, yeah. Still, still in mid seventies now, though. Yeah, the beginning of New Japan, which is uh, the beginning of a long and very important era, but also one of the most exciting parts of the story. Yeah, Inoki against Korg, 70, I mean, uh, in 1972 and 1973, 1974, Korg still wrestled in the ring. Like, mm-hmm. 48-year-old you know, Korg still good. I was there. I, when I was fifth grade and sixth grade, I went in, went over there and actually watched Inoki against Korg live. And he, uh, I mean, that's that's uh, you were there for the the passing of the torch. That seems like what it was. It was Gotch passing oh, the torch. Oh, and I learned the word like a deity, deities. You know, that uh, Carl Gotch so special. I mean, I mean, different from anybody. And he stand there, and you can tell this person is so special. Like his body, his aura, just by standing there, and his face mannerism. Uh, something about him yeah yeah mm. i mean god out of wrestling is not gimmick i mean i believed in <laughs> i still mm. do to, to this day yeah but me inoki and Korogach together they were the very beginning of new japan wow okay yeah. I, i'm i'm looking forward to our next episode we're because we're, i think we got everything we need to just jump right into carl Gotch, new japan antonio inoki and really some of the hottest years of Inoki's yeah, career. Yeah, without that, you know, without that period of Inoki and Carl Gotch, there is not, there weren't going to be Fujiwara, Maeda, Sayama, Takada, you name it. Or Funaki, even Nakamura. Pandras. Or uh, oh, later, later on. on, yeah, yeah. Shibata, you know, I mean. wasn't even born then. <laughs> it's like, it's all connected, which is why. I think so, it. I think so. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, so next time, part two, we're going to rev up the engine and get more into it with Antonio. And mid-70s into 80s, then 80s on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and we'll, Ooh, we'll see some uh, famous names pop us. up. Yeah, with us, yeah. Yeah, get ready for more Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan popping up, and Stan Hansen, and all kinds of exciting names. Younger Stan Hansen, mm-hmm. and the birth of IWGP. Ah, Wow, there's a lot to there's a lot to do. So let's yeah, get ready for it. If there was no NWA World Heavyweight title at the time, like a closest thing to undisputed World Heavyweight title, the idea of IWGP wouldn't have been born. Oh, we got a lot to cover. I got to get my notebook for next time. All right, okay. So take it All away. All right, so long from Tokyo. I write that down. I write that down. I write that down. I write that down.